Welcome to High Heels in Politics, the podcast where we talk with the leaders of Ohio and beyond. And now, your host, Marianne Christie. High Heels in Politics listeners will hear a discussion of the crucial role in resolving family law disputes and safeguarding your legal rights in Cincinnati. The Domestic Relations Division of Hamilton County Court of Common Pleas handles cases involving divorce, annulments, child custody, paternity, and domestic violence. The court works in helping families transition into a new family role. Our guest today, Judge Amy Searcy, serves not only as a judge in the court, but is the administrative judge. Judge Searcy places a focus on encouraging parents to compromise and mediate their parenting decisions. Her prior experiences included a magistrate in the county municipal court and a senior trial attorney in the county public defender's office, where she balanced a full caseload while mentoring and training new attorneys. In addition to her judicial experiences, Judge Searcy was the director of the Hamilton County Board of Elections. She was responsible for the day-to-day operations of all local, state, and federal elections in the county. Judge Searcy has served as an adjunct professor at the College of Mount St. Joe and has mentored future leaders as a high school mock trial legal advisor. Judge Searcy is a lifelong resident of Hamilton County, graduating from Harrison High School, Xavier University, and Salmon P. Chase College of Law. Welcome, Judge Searcy. Explain to our listeners the Domestic Relations Court and how it is different from other courts. Are there judges or magistrates that hear cases? And what is the role of the courtroom staff? Thank you so much, Marianne. I have to first say that I am thrilled when you contacted me and asked me to participate in your podcast. I've been a big fan of your podcast for years. Just in our conversation before we began this morning, I was reminded that I was your third interview in the podcast. I believe it's when I was the director of the Hamilton County Board of Elections. And today, as I sit here, August 2nd, 2023, I am your podcast number 100. So I am excited about that. I wish I had um, a cake or something or balloons to celebrate, but I'm thrilled. And I want to say thank you for not just inviting me, of course, but Thank you for doing these podcasts. There's a lot of people in Ohio who listen to these, and they're informative and they're fun. And once again, Marianne, you keep finding ways to give back to the community, and I appreciate you you doing these podcasts. I think that the Domestic Relations Court is one of the most important courts of all the specialty courts, and every judge feels that their own court is is the most important. But, But I think that one of the reasons I think we're so important is that we impact so many people. When we have over 50% of or 48% to 52% of marriages in the state of Ohio end in divorce or at least end up in domestic relations court for some sort of reason, mostly concerning with your children, 
that impacts a lot of people. And the decisions that we make here help families move forward in raising their children after the divorce. Because like I tell families all the time, once you are in my courtroom and once you go through our court, we can make sure that you're not married anymore. You don't have a legal or contractual relationship as husband and wife, but you're still family to these children. These children always look to the two of you as they grow up as their family. You need to understand how to raise those children, how to discipline them, how to encourage them, how to help them grow and bloom into the young people that they are meant to be by being their parents, but no longer being husband and wife. So therefore, that takes a whole new way of thinking. And I tell people it's a new reality. You're moving into a whole new world here. And we'll help you get to that point of being able to do that. So the way we are also a different court is that we have fewer trials here. We hire, employ more social workers than any other court. We have people who are working here in the court in a completely separate department, the Department of Dispute Resolution. We have professional mediators. We have parenting custodial evaluators. We have social workers who work with families all the time in collaborating with one another, mediating their cases, coming together in a cooperative manner, and each giving a little bit up of what they think they want out of the resolution of their marriage in order to be able to move forward as hopefully co-parents with shared parenting plans and to make decisions about in their document, their shared parenting plan document, in that document, how are they going to write the parameters or the guidelines for how they're going to make decisions for their children in two years, five years, or 10 years? If you're getting a divorce and your child's two, that document is going to take you up till their age 18. You need to be able to put language in that document that helps you decide how you're going to make those decisions. We are a civil court, so we're not a criminal court which is very different in how we look and how we act. We obviously follow the rules of civil procedure. So everything here is just a little bit different. Common Pleas General Division is both a civil court and a criminal court. We're just a civil court. We have three judges and we have about a dozen magistrates who hear these different cases. Some of the magistrates well, here just certain cases. What is a magistrate to, for listeners to understand? How are they different than a judge? They're really not very different in some ways and they're completely different in other ways. The biggest difference is that judges are elected. Judges are accountable to the voters. And I actually like that. I know there's a lot of discussion in the country about should judges be appointed or should they continue to be elected? There are some states that do not elect their judges. There are some states that appoint their judges. The concern there is that judges tend to then come from a higher socioeconomic background and they might have more of an influence in the, in the community that doesn't necessarily reflect the makeup of the community. States where judges are elected, although it may seem unseemly or unprofessional or unjudicial, I actually like the process. I have run twice. I was first appointed in 2014 by Governor Kasich, and then I ran for election in November then of 2014. I was appointed in May, ran for election in November of 2014. I won with almost 67% of the vote. Then I ran again for re-election in 2020, and I won in 2020. And now my next, I will, my term will be up in 2026. And so it's six-year terms. I actually think it's good for a judge 
to put on a pair of walking shoes, go out in the neighborhoods and knock on the doors and introduce themselves to the voters and say, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm a hard worker. I just want you to consider supporting me. Of course, you can't talk about any specific cases. Everyone knows that a judge can't do that. Uh, judges don't want to do that. Judges can't do that. We don't talk about specifics of cases, but we talk about our what's our theory, what's our philosophy, what's our work ethic. You want a judge that's going to be at work. You want a judge that's going to be keeping up with their cases. You want a judge that's going to be able to keep the court running efficiently and functioning well. I I compare the court to like a, a train. Is this train going down the track smoothly or are there bumps and starts and do the wheels creak a lot on the train? You don't want that. You want the train to be running smoothly. And that's what the administrative judge has to do. But back to the magistrates. Magistrates are not elected. They're hired by the three judges. The three judges and the court administrator hire the magistrates. And the magistrates have pretty much the same qualifications as the judge. As X number of years as a practicing law, licensed to practice law in the state of Ohio. Also, the magistrates are held to the same level of accountability as judges with the Ohio Supreme Court. Just as a judge can't do certain things in the community, they can't give legal advice, a judge can't be hired out to do something. Also, the magistrate has to be careful how they conduct themselves. And they have to conduct themselves in a judicial manner with a certain amount of ethics. And that rises to the level that reflects the role and the importance of a judicial officer in the state of Ohio. And that goes for judges and magistrates as well. The court really depends upon the hard work of the magistrates. And we have a bunch of fantastic, hardworking magistrates here in domestic relations court. And ever since COVID and we got a a large grant of money from the Ohio Supreme Court, I thank the Supreme Court again for that. We were able to buy these huge Zoom stations, as you see in my courtroom here, and we can Zoom people in and conduct hearings. We can have a trial going on. And the other day I had a trial and I had three witnesses from India who all Zoomed in. I would not have been able to listen to those witnesses' test. They were all expert testimony on the validity of a legal document that was created and endorsed in India and then came to the United States and then the marriage is ending. So how does this document that has to do with the marriage, what is its applicability in an American courtroom? And it was very valuable for me to hear from those experts from the, the country of India. I would not have likely have heard from them. I don't think that litigants could afford to fly them in, but they could get them on Zoom. And it was very informative and it was helpful to me in in making my final decision. That happens all the time now that we're getting experts from literally around the world and the country or even not an expert, just a witness in a trial. So it's so much better for a, a, a litigant who is wants to present testimony from a witness that they can't get them to fly in from California, but they can get them to turn on their computer and zoom in. That is one more way that technology has helped in in our courts. Okay. Besides divorce and disillusion of marriages, what other family and domestic relation disputes does the court handle? The majority of our cases are divided into pre-decree and post-decree. The decree is the document that ends the marriage. Pre-decree cases are the case are the decisions that are made before the uh, divorce is final. The post-decree are after. Surprisingly, I was surprised when I got here, even though I had practiced in this area, it wasn't something I knew until I got here as a judge and realized the data that showed that actually the majority of the cases that we have are post-decree, which means that it's even more important that parents resolve all their issues before the divorce is over so they don't have issues still lingering post-decree. 
Now, there are some things that change. Let's say the income of one of the parties changes in enough of a way that it meets the threshold that allows us to review the child support order. Or let's say the children have gotten older and suddenly have an additional need that maybe one parent can handle that need better than the other parent. So they might want to change the amount of time that a child stays with one parent over the other in the post-decree matter. So that's how we handle those cases. And I, I guess the best way for me to answer that is we have divorce and disillusion. We have all these custody questions. We have non-payment of child support orders, and we also do civil protective orders for domestic domestic violence cases. But the majority of our cases, although we have quite a few pre-decree, we also have a lot of these post-decree motions that we have to file for people, and they have to be filed quickly and handled quickly because the families need a decision made. And a perfect example is we know the month of June, we're going to get just a flurry of post-decree motions filed by one parent saying, This has not been a good school year. We want our child to go to our school. So they want to have a change of school determined by August because schools are starting up in August. So we know that every summer we have quite a few of these change of school placement motions that are filed. Those would all be post-decree. What steps does the court process to establish legal paternity? When the paternity is in dispute. The paternity is only in dispute when we're looking at actually doing the the final decree that ends the marriage and whether or not a child is a child of the marriage, not just during the marriage, but is a child actually produced by these two people, right? And they both have legal responsibility. And usually it's just a DNA test because the reality is if there is a complication as to the determination, that's going to be handled in another way. And it often is handled even outside the courtroom. But the reality is here in this court, we don't have large paternity trials or hearings. It's usually just part of what we call the final merits hearing. And they produce the DNA results. And that's when we determine the father or not. Domestic violence is an additional responsibility of the court. What actions can the court take to safeguard victims? We issue civil protective orders. The important word for everyone to know there is the word civil. We're not imposing criminal sentences. We're not putting people in jail. Now, if we take the testimony, if a petitioner files a petition requesting a a protective order, they first have an ex parte hearing here. I believe it's within 24 hours or less of it being filed. And we will take the testimony. And I will tell you, it's probably maybe 75%. I may, I'm just winging that just from, by the way, I'm, my anniversary, I'm going to be here 10 years in, in about nine months. So in the 10 years that I've been here, I'd say it's probably about 75% or so of the petitions for protective orders are granted. But then within, we're required within 10 days to have a hearing, a full hearing, and that's where everyone can participate, including the respondent. Out of those, quite a few of those, the respondent will come in and say, I'm not necessarily agreeing to the facts, but I am agreeing to stay away from that person. And so then we can issue the protective order. If they want to have a full hearing, we'll have the full hearing. And then out of those, I'm not sure the percentage, but quite a few are granted. And then of the ones that are granted, then that's a civil order. It's a civil order. And we have created a little laminated card. looks like a driver's license. 
that the petitioner can carry with them to show a police officer if necessary to say, here says my case number, Hamilton County Domestic Relations Court. I've been granted a civil protective order. This person is supposed to stay away from me, and this person is near me. And they can then be arrested for violation of a civil protective order. And then that violation goes to the criminal courts across the street, either Common Pleas General Division or the Municipal Court Division, where the prosecutors over there then use our civil protective order as the main document by which to seek a conviction of that person, the respondent, for having violated the order. But if there's any jail time, it's done in that courtroom, not from our courtroom. Is this card something relatively new in domestic violence cases? About 2017 or 2018, I think we initiated that card. So it's only been the past five years or so. And I'll tell you exactly how it happened. I was with Judge Susan Tolbert, who's now retired, a fantastic judge who was here in this court for over 20 years and left her mark here by being such a hardworking, dedicated judge helping families in Hamilton County. She and I read a judicial conference together in Columbus. Another county was doing it. We got a copy of that card. We brought it down here and we shared it with Hamilton County officials and the sheriff's office and everyone was on board with it. And within a few months, they were able to duplicate it. We got a special copy machine, and a special laminating machine that we now can create these cards. Once again, it is so good for judges. That's why I'm so happy now that COVID's over. We can meet in person again. When judges meet in person once or twice a year at least at these large general conferences in Columbus, Ohio, sponsored by the Supreme Court, and not only do we attend meetings and we listen to lectures from professors, we get to collaborate and talk together and learn ideas from one another. And so we bring those ideas to our court, and some of our ideas from our court have been adopted by other domestic relations courts in Ohio. It's interesting. I think it's beneficial to not only to the people involved, but to the police officers and the other courts. Yes. The court decides the validity of a marriage and can grant annulments. What is the process? That's a good question. Annulments are, are a kind of a strange animal, are not common. I mean, they're really not common. I only do a handful a year. And I do hundreds and hundreds of just straight-out divorces. And there are thousands of straight-out disillusions. Disillusion is where both parties come to the court and say, we just can't be married anymore. We agree on everything. Here's all the paperwork that ends our marriage. Will you sign it and sign off on it? And we review the paperwork, make sure everything's appropriate, everything's been taken care of, and then that's it. A divorce is where the couple comes to the court and says, we just can't get along anymore or whatever the reason we want a divorce. We can't agree on things, so you need to help us. And if you can't help us decide and we can't decide, then you need to try the case and you need to decide, judge or magistrate. And annulment is where one of the parties comes to the court and says, we were married, but under the law of Ohio, we really shouldn't be married because one type of legal I hate to say loopholes, but the only reason I'm saying loopholes, I think people can process that word. It's usually a, a minute, small legal reality that just says we, we aren't married. Perhaps the other person couldn't be married because we found out I had one not too long ago where the other side hadn't ended their first marriage and they couldn't have entered into a marriage. So it's a legal impossibility. So that's annulled. Sometimes the marriage is not consummated. I don't have to go into more details. Everyone understands what that means. And sometimes there was 
some there were some serious falsehoods being presented as to who they are and what they present and that they were misled by who this person was. So that's pretty rare, but it, d- it does happen. Yep. Like I said, there it doesn't happen often, but it looks like a divorce where we have to they have to serve a complaint, they have a time for an answer, we get to testimony can be presented and then I write a decision. So it looks like a divorce, but it's an annulment. Just saying that marriage really never existed and now the court is recognizing that legally it didn't really exist. You have instituted significant changes in the courtroom. Are there any additional ones you are considering? Thank you for asking about that. My courtroom changes are one of the things I'm most proud of my 10 years here. As you can see, you're sitting here. It isn't the typical plaintiff and defendant table. It's one huge, big oval table. And my philosophy is that this is a family. And this is a family that has to resolve their issues. Let's resolve it the way most families resolve disagreements around the family table. Now, my table, as you can see, has been cut so that it can be split if we have perhaps a husband and wife where there's been some domestic violence and one does not feel safe being within two or three feet of the other. So the table can be moved. But nine times out of 10, the table remains the way it looks right now. A big oval, looks like a big conference room table where they are sitting at that table with their attorneys and maybe the guardian ad litem who represents the best interests of the children. And we all work on this together. Also, all around my room, you'll see there's huge blown up pictures of the Hamilton County Great Parks. The Great Parks, I've been a volunteer there for almost a dozen years. I love the Great Parks. It's one of the, it's a huge asset to Hamilton County. And the Great Parks provided these photos for me. And um, at my own expense, I I don't want anyone to think I use taxpayer money. I blew them up and had them installed on the walls because it brings a sense of calm and peace to the room to remind people. And all kinds of data suggests that looking at pictures of nature are almost as soothing and relaxing as being out in nature itself. So that helps people calm themselves down a little bit because when people walk in this courtroom, emotions are high. Also in the court, beginning in 2016, uh, we collaborated with the clerk of courts to begin bringing electronic filing to domestic relations court. So it took quite a few years, but the irony of it is that in the summer of 2019, we had worked since 2016, but the summer of 2019, we were able to slowly roll out the e-filing, electronic e-filing, where lawyers or even the litigants themselves or the representing themselves could create a legal document like filing for a post-decree motion to reduce your child support or filing for divorce, anything that we do here. You would accept not civil protective orders, those we still do in person, but everything else that we do here besides the civil protective orders. You could create on your computer and then just scan it and click a button on your computer and it gets filed electronically with the clerk's office and with us. And immediately we have your filing and you didn't have to leave your kitchen table. That's helpful for people. It's, it's, it saves them money. It saves them time. It's incredibly helpful. Lawyers love it. It's been happening all around the state of Ohio. We were one of the last big county to not do it. It's complicated in domestic relations because you file for divorce. There could be 12 different pieces of paper you're filing. Because there has to be documents, not just the complaint for divorce, but proof of health insurance and information about the children, information about your income. There's a lot to file. And to put all that on and scan it and file it is a lot of work. So we had to create, along with the clerk's office and the software company, we had to create a very user-friendly step-by-step. You do one, then two, then three to do this efficiently. We rolled it out slowly and tested it all summer of 2019. 
Then we made it go live, working, anyone could do it, beginning in September 2019, with no idea whatsoever that the world was going to come to a grinding halt in March of 2020. But when the world came to a grinding halt in March of 2020, even though there were a couple of weeks that everything was shut down by the clerk's office, including e-filing, but the clerk's office got up and running really fast again. And then we were able to keep the e-file. So all of 2020 and 2021, include, and even into today, majority of these cases are filed electronically. And the lawyers love it because there are lawyers who appear here from all over Ohio. We have quite a few lawyers coming from Franklin County who have a certain reputation of being good at custodial cases, et cetera, that their clients hire them but they don't have to drive to Cincinnati. They don't have their lawyers, their clients don't have to pay them to drive here to downtown Cincinnati, pay to park the car, come in the courthouse, stand in line and file a document. They just do it from their computer. They hit a button and it's done. It saves money. It saves time. It lets cases go through the court system more efficiently. And that's one of the things that our new chief justice talks about all the time because it is a high priority for her because it's the law in Ohio. And it's a good law that says that these cases have to be concluded within a certain amount of time because families deserve to have these issues resolved and over and done with so they can move forward in their lives. Because when the family is going through a divorce, and I say it's the family because it's not just the mom and dad, it's the family. When the family is going through a divorce, they can feel that tension between mom and dad. They get all of the confusion. Where am I sleeping tonight? What's happening? What's this? What's that? Who's going to get the washer and dryer? And do we have to move? And can we take the family dog? Where's the family dog going to live? Going to stay with mom? Going to stay with dad? These are all questions that kids think about when they're laying in their beds at night. If we can get these cases done efficiently and as quickly as possible without skipping over anything that must be done, we have to check off all the boxes, make sure all the decisions have been made. But we need to do it efficiently and not drag our feet and get things done quickly. That is what the Chief Justice keeps telling the judges to do, and that is what we're doing. And we're really proud of that work here. And a large part of that is instituting e-filing. People that have cases in the court do not understand why they cannot provide additional information directly to the judge. They don't like what their lawyer is saying or something. Why? I have two two answers. To that. First of all, if you've hired a lawyer, the, your lawyer is your mouthpiece. So your lawyer needs to speak for you. And if you don't like that mouthpiece, then fire him and go get another one. But as far as talking to the judge, the judges have very strict rules concerning who they can talk to. Usually it's in the courtroom, on the record, everything's recorded, so there's no behind-the-scenes conversations, and you need to have both parties there. Now, I have phone conferences, efficiency purposes, but I, I'm not, I have to make sure very confident that the people on the phone are just the people who are supposed to be on the phone and not someone pretending to be the mom or pretending to be the dad. Or so That's why we have to be very cautious about these phone conferences. But we can assure that who, there's different ways we can assure that we know who we're talking to because it's very important that we not speak with one party without the other party knowing what's happening and what's being said and they have the chance to ask questions themselves. That's critically important. Rules of ethics that tell us that. So that's how we how we control that. One thing, can I bring up mediation real quickly? Yes. I wanted to just finish. It wasn't just e-filing that is moving this court forward for families, but it's something that we've created called the Department of Dispute Resolution. And I mentioned earlier that we have taken on ideas from other counties, 88 counties in Ohio. And so the different counties in Ohio, we've traveled around and seen how they do divorces and help families. And we've gotten ideas from them. 
But they've come to us, and there's been a couple of counties in northern Ohio, and I can't remember exactly which ones they are, so I'm not going to not going to take a, a guess. I'm thinking one is Summit County, but I may be inaccurate in that. But the reality is other county judges, domestic relations judges have come to see our Department of Dispute Resolution. It is a unique department. It's headed up by a lawyer. It has mediators in that department. It has custodial evaluators. It has social workers and counselors. How many people are in that department? It's like 10, I think, at least 10 are employed in that department. They work so hard. They are just the workhorse of this court. And they produce documents as far as recommendations, evaluations, reports on the status of the families, the children, how are the children doing in school, how are the children, if it's post-decree motions, how are the children relating to a new person, like a new stepfather or stepmother, and how is all of that working, and what do the children need? Do they need extensive counseling? Can, Can I can order? that the parties take their children to certain counselors or seek, seek out particular type of counseling that's going to be effective for them. And so that's where the, that Department of Dispute Resolution really shines. And part of it is the mediators. We have discovered through, again, other courts' work and data from around the country that if a man, if a couple, two spouses are divorcing and with children's issues and then property issues, those are two separate things, right? So they have to pretty much either come to a decision themselves about how they're going to go forward, parents raising their children after they're divorced, and they're also going to have to figure out how to divide up their property now. And sometimes that property can become complicated with retirement plans and investments and rental properties and owning multiple cars and all the rest and debts and liabilities. Data has shown over and over again for years now that if you can decide yourself with the other person through the help of a mediator, sit down and divide up the decisions and decide what you're going to do, you will follow that decision because you helped participate in the decision much better than if you have the court impose its ruling and then you feel like, oh, I just have to do what the judge says and you get angry about that and your anger can fester over the years. But if you and your spouse sit down and say, okay, besides our marital home, we own three investment properties. How are we going to divide this up? And then you divide it amongst yourselves. Then if there's a dispute later on, one of the pieces of investment property, it gets sold for a lot more money than they anticipated. And there might be some jealousy there. But they realize, no, I was part of that decision making. My spouse and I, we decided, my ex-spouse at this point, we decided how we're going to divide up our property. So I'm just going to accept what happened because... I was part of the decision maker. If you can have a role in deciding what happens to your own disillusion or divorce of your property and how you're going to go forward raising your children, then you're much more likely to be content with that decision because you helped make it. Is mediation services something relatively new? Mediation, that's a good question, Marianne. Mediation's been around a long time. Back when I was in municipal court, we had full-time mediators that would help people in small claims court. Let's say, Marianne, you're a roofer, and I hire you to put a new roof on my house. The roof is gorgeous, but the first rainfall, my living room's soaking wet. So I take you to court, to small claims, to sue you about not putting on a good roof. We would then, we magistrates, would send the roofer and the homeowner with a mediator to mediate how they're going to resolve it. Is there going to be a new roof put on or is there just going to be a money settlement, right? So mediation's been around a long time. But using mediation with families and domestic relations, that's relatively newer. 
and it's very effective. And mediation training is conducted through the Supreme Court in Ohio. Supreme Court has all kinds of fantastic training opportunities for both guardian ad litems, parenting coordinators, and mediators. And you have to go through their program in order to be recognized in our court as a mediator. And we greatly, families in Hamilton County greatly benefit from that. If you have a pre-decree case, so your, your divorce hasn't happened yet, we will give you up to three mediation sessions free of charge. If it's post-decree, we do charge you, and it's a nominal charge, like $150 or something like that, because we feel like, okay, you've already been divorced, you have a disagreement, you should be able to work it out, but you can't. We'll give you our mediators, but you're going to have to re- you're going to have to pay for the mediation. But pre-decree, when we're trying to help families resolve their issues and wrap everything up without courtroom battles, that because very few good things come out of a courtroom battle, because tensions are high, feelings are hurt, very ugly things are said between parties. Family members say ugly things about the the in-laws and everything else. And that does that isn't forgotten for many years. So it's so much better. It's in the best interest of the children that we not have these courtroom battles, but instead their family members, their parents mediate and work out and resolve everything. So mediation is relative to answer your question, mediation is relatively new in domestic relations. But so far, what we have seen, it's not only really effective, but it's also really a good thing. I don't think most people realize the role that the Supreme Court plays with judges across a state. Yeah. People just think you you hear cases, but we're getting a whole different vibe from this discussion. The administrative aspect of the court systems in Ohio and the role of the Supreme Court in that administration is critically vital. The Supreme Court tells us, they don't tell us how to do our cases, of course, but they tell us how we're supposed to get them completed within a certain timeline, how we're supposed to conduct ourselves, the rules of ethics. Also, they give us so much. Just go peruse the Supreme Court website. You will see all these different services. They offer ongoing judicial classes, conferences, understanding the different things that we do, how to do them better, how to be more informed. I just signed up for the judicial conference. The Ohio Judicial Conference is a wing of the Supreme Court. I think that's probably the best way to say it. And they offer all this ongoing legal training. And I just signed up for the fall classes. And I signed up for multiple different speeches. And one of them is a conference session about how to read all the different drug and alcohol testing and blood testing and hair test, hair follicle testing, because that's something that sometimes I do. If I have a parent who has an alcohol or drug addiction issue, I may limit the amount of time that they can spend with the children until I see that they have resolved their drug or alcohol issue. So I have to order random drug and alcohol tests. But then these tests come back that look like gobbledygook because they're scientific data that I need to know what I'm looking at. Again, the Supreme Court teaches us how to do that. The Supreme Court offers grant money for us for very specific technological advances we want to do in the courtroom, like these Zoom stations and other technological projects. The Supreme Court also does all this outstanding training for mediators and guardians and parenting coordinators. And that's just for my division. The other divisions of courts will have as much to brag about with the Supreme Court as I do about what they can offer. The Supreme Court really of a state really has a big impact on how the lower courts do their job, and they set the tone for the importance of the judiciary in the state. 
Amy, as we're coming to a close, I wasn't sure if we really discussed it. What's the difference between an administrative judge and a judge? And who are the present judges with you in domestic relations? I'm the administrative judge. I've been here for almost 10 years. I've been here since 2014. We had a very unique situation that this past election of 2022, we had two judges who, one judge had retired and her seat was open. Another judge was up for re-election. So we got two new judges out of that election. One is Judge Ann Flotman. The other is Judge Betsy Sunderman. So they both began in January. So this is now August 2nd. So they're relatively new judges. The three of us work in a collaborative manner. We meet twice a month and we have meetings with the administrative the court administrator twice a month. We meet with the department heads once a month. We collaborate on all issues. There has to be one final decision maker, though, and that's the administrative judge. But I'm limited in what decisions I make. I don't decide everything at the court. First of all, each judge is responsible for their own courtroom and their own cases. That's very unique with each judge. We might ask each other advice about general legal topics like whatever it may be, like factors of trial custody. But your individual cases, each judge is responsible for their cases. And each judge has about four to 500 active open cases at any given moment. And the caseload, the dockets change literally every day because cases are filed every day and cases are dismissed or resolved every day. But the administrative judge is basically under the Ohio Revised Code, responsible for hiring personnel, handling all personnel issues, and the yearly budget with the county commissioners. Also, like I said, with the Supreme Court, the Chief Justice just sent an email to all administrative and presiding judges in Ohio recently reminding us that it's our responsibility for all of the cases in the court, not just our own, but all the cases in the court, that they be held to the strictest standards for efficiency and getting the case moving through the system so it gets completed within the time guidelines that the Supreme Court has set, that no case can lag, no case can fall between the cracks. There's not going to be a four or five-year divorce going on here unless whatever happened with the parties or their attorneys created this situation where the divorce doesn't seem to come to an end because they keep filing new motions or whatever it may be. But even in those cases, we're supposed to keep, and we do keep, everyone's feet to the fire as far as getting the cases moved through the system efficiently. So that's basically what an administrative judge does. Does your court have a website? And if so, how do people, how can people get in contact? We do have a website, and it's through HamiltonCountyOhio.gov. So it's technically www.HamiltonCountyOhio.gov backslash government backslash quarter domestic relations. If you go into your favorite search engine and just type in Hamilton County, Ohio, Court of Domestic Relations, you'll come up to our website. Remember, there are other states that have counties named Hamilton, because Alexander Hamilton, that was a pretty important person in our history. Go ahead and do Hamilton County, Ohio, Court of Domestic Relations. I, I would like you to share with our listeners about your own life. Why did you ever become an attorney? I tell this story a lot because... Since I've been on the campaign trail several times in Hamilton County, I've had opportunity to discuss my background. I don't want to talk a lot about myself, but I think it is important that people know who's on the bench making these decisions, what kind of people we are, what backgrounds we come from. I come from a very modest background. My mother did not go past the ninth grade, and my father had nine siblings. He was the youngest, and he was the only one to get a high school diploma. So like I said, we, we, I came from a modest background, but my father was dedicated to education. 
and he was very proud of his high school diploma. In fact, he has been deceased now for almost 30 years, but I have his diploma framed. And when he died, I realized his diploma was just rolled up and put into his sock drawer. So I framed it and it hangs in my chambers. And I'll have that hanging in a room or an office near me for the rest of my life to remind me that for my father, achieving that high school diploma was a huge life accomplishment. And so I want to make him proud and I want to continue. I will say in my education, my dad was a Southerner. And so he liked to tell stories and we liked to read books. And we were all big readers in our family. Everyone in my family always had a book in front of them. My mother was a worker. She worked with her hands all the time. She was busy all the time. In addition to my dad having a a job, he was a United Auto Workers. He was a union worker at Sharonville Ford Transmission Plant. But he and my mom also had a small business on the side. So my mom worked that business all the time. My mom was an extremely hard worker. And she couldn't sit down for long periods of time to read books. But she sat down every night and she read short stories. I remember that she wanted to read, but she just couldn't quite take on a book. So the point is, we're readers. And To Kill a Mockingbird was one of my favorite childhood books. And my role model was Atticus Finch. And I love that he fought for the underdog, the person who was wrongfully charged. So that's really why I went to law school. I wanted to be Atticus Finch. And then I became a public defender for over 10 years. And then I think all attorneys, despite which path they may take, and there are many job opportunities, many career options for people who go to law school and get a law degree, not just practicing law or being in a courtroom. But I think the ultimate goal to attain is to be on the bench and to be a judge. That was always in the back of my mind. I never thought that it would happen for me. I didn't think that I was going to be fortunate enough or be blessed enough to have this opportunity to do this job. But all the pieces fell into place, and it did happen for me. And I'm very grateful. And I love my work, and I think that I'm helping families in Hamilton County. And again, I'm just very grateful. I didn't. I don't know if you would have written my background to, to assure that I would become a judge, it probably wouldn't have been the background my family had with being the lack of education and lack of assets and means that they had. But regardless, I made it here, and I'm very proud of it, and I work hard every day, and I hope that the public realizes that I'm a public servant that has a servant's heart. And you're very much like Chief Ohio Chief Justice Sharon Kennedy. She came from a similar background. Now, before we leave, you said your parents were in a small business. I just can't leave it that we don't know what the small business is. My dad grew up in northern Alabama, and if much about the landscape of northern Alabama, it's filled with the most beautiful pine trees, the big forests in northern Alabama and southern Tennessee. He grew up right there on the border of Alabama and Tennessee. He loved trees. He loved soil. By the way, don't call it dirt. It's not dirt. It's soil. He bought some acreage. And he would go to the factory every day and work, and my mom would be planting saplings. And over 40 years' time, we developed the Searcy Nursery and Landscaping Company. We had a greenhouse. We sold Christmas trees. We sold tomato plants in the summer. We provided landscape services. We had 30-some employees in the summertime doing landscaping and yard work and gardening for people. And that's long gone. That My parents have been deceased a long time, and that nursery has been sold But that was my background. I grew up, I was six, seven, eight years old, and I was out there helping my mom sell Christmas trees. Interesting, isn't that about our background? Amy, thank you for taking the time and sharing all this information. 
I would encourage our listeners to engage with the podcast by leaving comments or questions or any feedback about the domestic relations court that you heard this afternoon. Thank you to our High Heels and Politics listeners. Thank you very much, Marianne, for taking the time to visit my courtroom. Thank you. High Heels and Politics is produced by Marianne Christie and Ryan Kulik. Engineered by Ryan Kulik. Music by Sherrod Sate. Subscribe to High Heels and Politics on Google, Apple, Spotify, and all of your podcast networks.